Well, we have a big chunk of scripture. Jesus, of course, he's now, we're within that week of his passion as he's, uh, as he's about to uh, be crucified. Not many days before that in Luke 20. And he's met with a religious group. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the Pharisees were what we might call, if we're to put it in today's theological terms, they, we, we might call them the fundamentalists. The Sadducees, we might call them the liberals. Probably the only time you see them coming together on anything is when they have a common enemy, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we look at our text. Look at Luke 20, and we'll start in verse number 20. It says, um, I'm in the wrong book. Let me get the right book here. We're about to jump right in the middle of Acts, and uh, we'd all be confused. Luke 20, verse number 20, it says, And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, so that they might deliver him unto the power and authorities of the governor. So right now we're seeing what their, their motive is. They want to trick Jesus so they can uh, get him in trouble with government, with uh, the civil rulers, if you would. And they asked him, saying, Master... We know that thou say, uh, sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any man, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny that there is any resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, having a wife, and he die without children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto her, his brother. And there, there were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her to wife, and he died uh, childless, and the third took her, and in like manner the, the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For she had, uh, excuse me, for seven had her to wife. And Jesus answered unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain the, uh, that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither, came they, uh, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels." And are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now that, uh, uh, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord, uh, uh, excuse me, the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said, and after uh, and after that, they durst not ask him any question at all. And he said unto them, How say ye that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore called him Lord. How is he then his son? And in the audience of all the people, he had said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes, 
which desire to walk in long robes and love gr- greetings in the markets and the, high, uh, and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at a feast, which devour widows' houses and, sh- and uh, for a show make long prayers and some shall receive great damnation. What a staunch warning there by the Lord Jesus. But cover a lot of scripture, and there's really a, a few temptations. They come to Jesus wanting to trick him up, and, uh, and hopefully we can uh, uh, make some sense of this morning as we dive into this passage. But let's have a word of prayer as we get into this. Father, we do ask that you'd help us this morning as we look to your word. I pray, Father, we'd look inward at our own selves as, as uh, there are times that we definitely can identify that maybe our motives might be off, maybe there's some hypocrisy in us, and Father, I just pray that you'd help each of us uh, walk, uh, even as you'd have us to walk. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. During the Lord's last week before the cross, as we find ourselves uh, in the text here, uh, he taught daily in the temple, and we saw that in the beginning of the chapter every day. If you guys want to bring up that slide for me. Uh, he taught daily in the temple, and, uh, and, and they would come to him with questions, and they'd challenge uh, some of his teachings. And um, as we learned earlier in the journey of Jesus, the priests, the scribes, the elders, they came to Jesus as he was teaching in the temple, and they demanded to know where his authority came from. Well, how, how do you speak with this authority, and, and by what, uh, get, what gives you this authority? And so, so much of what he's going to teach and zero in on is in fact his deity and to show them that he is indeed Messiah and and this is all going to make sense of course when he is crucified and and raised again but as he's laying out many of these teachings uh, they're looking at uh, really they're looking at one thing they want to trip him up meanwhile he's pointing to himself by the way keep something in mind when Jesus taught uh, even in response to the skeptics and to those that were against him Many times he was not trying, he was not teaching just uh, to answer their questions, but he was teaching for those who would hear. He was teaching for those that would follow. Let's just be honest, the Pharisees were not going to get it. They were enemies. And so what is he doing? He, he's going to bring some things around, and some of the things he doesn't even fully address, he just simply turns to the audience and says, guys, beware of some things. Beware of this deception. Beware of, of these enemies of the truth and how they're going to come to you. And, and, and here's how you're going to know. There, there's some, some key factors that, that he's going to uh, de- zero in on at the very end of our text. But as, as we look at this, really the religious leaders wanted to lay hands on him and destroy him. And, and they do something here that we've even seen in history where they were, gonna, they were trying to use the government to do their bidding. To, to, to kind of, you know, so they thought, boy, if we can get him tripped up on this issue of uh, taxes, by the way, how many of us are against taxes, okay? If he, maybe if we can get him to go against the government because oppressive taxes, then we can, you know, uh, present him before the governor and say, look at this guy. He is truly a rebel rouser. He really is trying to get us to go against the grain and go against our laws and so forth. But they're really trying to trick him and in doing something worthy of extreme punishment. By the way, men still test and still try to disprove Jesus and his ministry even today. Uh, for example, uh, there was a, uh, a while back, uh, National Geographic carried an article that talked about uh, this Harvard historian uh, found a papyrus fragment that claims that Jesus had a wife. 
uh, spoke of a person named Jesus, and this person had a wife, and, and by the way, Jesus was actually kind of a common name back then. Even, even Paul, uh, one of the guys that was working with Paul, Paul mentions in the book of Colossians, a man named Jesus that, that served with him, different Jesus from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, but Anyways, this person, Jesus, they did this whole special on this, this fragmented piece of papyrus, and, uh, which is interesting because later on they did a little special on how, uh, how that all kind of fell apart and that really wasn't what it was. Then she, uh, the person, the historian actually came out and said, yeah, it was a forgery. And so even that little bit of evidence that she had was, uh, was, was even made up. But, but people are always trying to disprove the scriptures and they're going against Jesus Christ. Um, you know, we see it all over the place. We see it in the news. We see it in, uh, in politics lately. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, questions arise. And, uh, and the question of worthiness for, say, for example, a Supreme Court justice to be on the bench if, uh, if they're religious. And I'm thinking, this is America. In fact, if you know anything about history in America, you can't even be a lawyer in America without a theology degree in the early days. Did you know that? And the thinking was, how can you practice law without knowing the lawgiver? Good question. See, our laws are even based on uh, much of the Old Testament and the laws as God really addresses society and how man ought to relate to man. There was a, um, uh, in fact, uh, uh, the, the same National Geographic channel years back did a, uh, did a show on this newfound Gospel of Judas. And in this Gospel of Judas that was uncovered, and by the way, it, it was dated to be about 200 or 300 A.D. Uh, Judas, that long? Okay. Um, but in this Gospel of Judas, it lays out this story that Judas was actually the closest disciple to Jesus Christ, and that the two of them concocted this plan that Judas would betray him. And, uh, and it kind of lays out the whole thing, and I believe that Jesus didn't actually die. And, uh, but it's amazing what we like, we want to kind of chase after. There's all these others that have popped up since then. Oh, we're going to disprove it with this, this uh, uh, writing that we found. And, and let me just say that there's always going to be something that people are grasping at to try to disprove the Lord Jesus Christ, to try to get us to go against the word. And, uh, and it's, it's all out there. C.S. Lewis once said, uh, Jesus produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. That's what we even find today. Here's the reactions when you ask somebody, what do you think about Jesus? Very little are going are to just say, eh, mild approval. Well, he was a good teacher, I guess. No, there's, there's going to be a very strong opinion somewhere along the way. And so first one's up, we see the testing of the scribes. The test of the scribes. And... Um, uh, there in verse number uh, 20, we see their tactics are exposed. They come to Jesus. By the way, the scribes, just kind of see who they are. They're, uh, they're of the tribe of Levi. They're Levites. They were responsible for copying the scriptures. The scribes, they would copy and carry over the, the, the scriptures. And as a result of them copying down the scriptures day in and day out, they became experts of the scriptures. How, how many of you would say that, that, that if you... If you wrote, say, a hundred copies uh, of a book of the Bible, let's just pick one, would you say why you become rather familiar with the book? By the way, when you copy down something, you write it down one time, you don't just read it one time, do you, when you're copying word for word. 
You end up reading each sentence probably a dozen times as you're writing to make sure you got word for word and you're copying it down. And, and that, that's who the scribes were. So, so, so subsequently, they became kind of experts at the law of Moses and, and the, the Old Testament Torah. And they would, uh, so, so these were the ones that were coming. In verse number 20, it says this. Uh, let me get on the right chapter again. And uh, it says, and they watched him and sent forth spies. So first thing we see about these, these uh, uh, scribes, they, they went in secretly. They were spying. They, they went in as spies and would feign themselves just men that they might take hold of the words, that they might deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. And uh, so we see their tactics. First of all, they were spying. They went in secretly. Matthew 22, verse 15. Uh, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. By the way, that's what they were trying to do, right? The Bible tells us that multitude of words are not sin. The more you talk, the more likely you're going to mess up, right? Which is wonderful for someone like me who speaks for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a mistake. And many of you remind me of that when I do make a mistake. And uh, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but they came in secretly. What are, they, what are they trying to do? They're trying to trip up Jesus. It's the same tactics they've used, by the way, the whole ministry of the Lord. They, every time they, they came to him, they were trying to trick him, or they would ask a tempting question, thinking, oh, we finally got him now, and we've cornered him, and, and uh, just for him to answer so much more wisely than they ever anticipated, then they'd be quiet. <laughs> they'd go away for a little while. They'd re regather themselves. But the scribes were diligent in watching Christ to find a reason to accuse him to the Roman governor. And when they, when, uh, when they went so far to, as to spread, uh, send spies to the crowd that would listen and follow Christ uh, uh, that, that week before his death. Notice what it says there. He says they went for spies. They would feign themselves just men. The word feign, it comes from the Greek word uh, uh, hypokrinomia, where we get the word hypocrite. It really means to, to, to impersonate or to, uh, uh, to simulate, to, be, to, to feign something. You're, you're a fake. Uh, we have a few times in Scripture, uh, uh, Paul admonishes Timothy for his unfeigned faith. That meant it was without hypocrisy. It was genuine. It was real. It was authentic. And so these guys, what were they doing? They were trying to fit in the crowd. They were feigning themselves. They were, they were pretending to be just men. They were pretending to be righteous as they're in with the crowd, trying to hear the teacher, trying to hear the master. And that's what they were after. They were very diligent in this as they were seeking after him. I heard a story one time about this, uh, this uh, atheist who enrolled himself in a semester of Bible college because he was going to write this big article and, uh, and, and kind of blast uh, everything. So he was faking for a whole semester to be one of these Bible college students. And uh, well, what an amazing thing to think about, uh, to, to, to go in there and fake an interest in the most interesting person in the world, or who's ever existed. The study of Jesus Christ and the study of the scriptures to go in there to fake an interest of it. For what purpose? And by the way, it always amazes me, these atheists who spend so much energy trying to disprove something they don't think even exists. Talk about wasting your life on nothing. You see, I don't need to... I don't need to spend much of my concern uh, addressing... Uh, I'm trying to think of some, some fictitious, you know, Sasquatch. Well, uh, the jury's out on that, I think. 
But, you know, I can tell you all day long, you know, I don't believe in the boogeyman. But if, I, if all you ever do is blog about it and write about it and talk about it and, and, and all these things, at some point you're like, let it go. If you don't believe, you don't believe. And these guys that give their whole lives to try to disprove this thing. And, uh, you know, and, and it's just an amazing lie that the devil has really got people to accept and this idea that it's dangerous, so you've got to fight against it. Uh, I'll tell you what, the more we've been removed from Christianity, the more our culture has been negatively impacted. And when our society as a whole was closer to the Bible and the Word of God, society was better for it. All you always have to do is just be a, a, a loose, uh, loosely look at history and say, what impact did Christianity have on it? In fact, even the least religious of our founders, like uh, Ben Franklin, spoke of these uh, revivals that would take place. And the, and, and the direct result and impact he would have in these communities where he witnessed these revivals. But they were fakes. They, 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 they went in there scheming and spying and, and feigning to be just men. Uh, was called to witness, called to testify at a, in a court hearing uh, for witnessing an accident. And as he took the stand... And he, uh, and he swore to tell the truth. The attorney that was there uh, uh, that was going to question him, he said, young man, before we start, he said, I want to know, did anybody tell you what to say? He said, yes, sir. He said, oh, really? He said, he said who ought to say? He said, my dad told me what I should say. He goes, okay. And what did he tell you to say? He said, son, there's going to be some lawyer that's going to try to trip you up in some kind of scheme. And he said, he said, I want you to just get up there and tell the truth and you'll be okay. <laughs> and so he, he relays that to this lawyer that he was talking about. And, uh, and, uh, but, you know, in life, if we just tell the truth, we're going to be okay. If we are authentic, if we're genuine, it's going to be okay. But the problem is we, we are so prone to feign to be just men, feign to be religious, feign to be spiritual. Hey, let's just speak the truth. Let's, let's see where we are at and let's, let's, let's find that source of truth and let's grow in it, into it. That's the true disciples, Lord Jesus Christ. They followed. They weren't playing tricks. They weren't playing games. These men appeared to be righteous, but were really wicked, and they, they couldn't find fault with Jesus. And began to look for ways to kind of fabricate accusations. So notice how they schemed. We see they, they, they feigned to be just men, and that they might take hold of his words. That's what they were after. They take hold of his words uh, so that they might deliver him unto the power of the authority of the governor. So what were they trying to do? They were trying to, to, to find a way to trick him so that they could basically tattle on him. <laughs> tell, tell the authorities, tell the governor, hey, this guy is not good to keep in society. We need to, to get him. So that's what they were after, and they were trying to, to get him on that. We, we see the scheme. We see their plan here. And, uh, you know, their flattery was used to hide the fact that they wanted him to give them a reason to accuse him. Jesus treated every person equally, regardless of how well or they treated him and and uh so what what, what happened what they say he says uh, verse number 44 and um i'm sorry where am i at chapter 20 verse number um, 21 and they asked him saying master we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly neither acceptest thou the person of any 
but teach us the way of God truly. So now they're kind of playing in like, like, yeah, we believe you. We're followers. We know you teach the truth. We know you don't respect any person. And, and, uh, and so, so they're kind of getting him ready for this question they're going to bring. We believe you. We think you are speaking truth. And so they're kind of building them up there. Uh, because the religious leaders were afraid to seize Jesus, they sought ways to involve Pilate and the Roman governor. And we're going to see that as he gets taken later on. Matthew 27, verse 2, And when they had bound him, they, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And that's what they went after. So they asked him this question. Uh, verse number 22, Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? The tribute was... Uh, 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 re in reference to uh, the tax, specifically the annual tax that would be levied upon houses and lands and the people. And, uh, and then the Jews despised the tax. Kind of like some of us here, we despise the tax. All right? And, uh, and, uh, and so what does Christ do? He's going to take this now and he's going to teach, uh, teach them something from it. Verse number 23. But he perceived their craftiness I said unto them, Why tempt, tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image is in, in inscription hath it? And they answered and said, Caesar's. He said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. So the first thing we see here is, first of all, he's an all-knowing teacher. As we consider Christ's teachings, look at verse 23 again. He perceived their craftiness. The word there for craftiness, it carries the idea of false wisdom or a trick. Their craftiness here. We're going to lure him in by complimenting him. And then we're going to trick him with this question. So he perceived. He, he perceived their craftiness. He knows their thoughts. He knows their intent, intentions. And by the way, I want to say this. God does not just know our thoughts and does not know just our behavior. God knows our intentions. That's something that's very important. Intentions matter. We'll get into that another time. But Jesus perceived they're trying to trick him and use the opportunity to kind of take him. And, and so he takes this opportunity to teach them, teach them a very important lesson. He, of course, is the master teacher. He tells them, show me a penny. Now the penny, this hasn't been working, guys. So can you just bring up the, the image with the penny? Um, the penny, it was a Roman silver coin in the New Testament times. And it was a particular silver coin in the Roman Empire. Uh, from the parable of the labors in the vineyard, it would seem that, uh, that uh, it was used uh, then uh, for, to pay a day's wages. A penny would be used uh, here to pay a day's wages. And he said, whose superscription is on it? Uh, the inscription that we see on this coin, well, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, Tiberius, the governor at the time. And, uh, and what was written on it was interesting. It, it, the inscription said, translated, was Augustus Tiberius Caesar. Son of divine Augustus. And the Jews felt that Caesar's inscription that was on the coin was a graven image and prohibited by scripture, prohibited by the Old Testament law. And so they saw this, if you would, as a form of idolatry. And, and it was, as far as the Jews saw this, they, they despised it. They thought this is a, kind of a wicked thing. So he says, show me a penny. Whose inscription is on it? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And the idea is this, that, that if he rejected it, they could turn him into the Romans. But if, he, uh, but if he accepted that this was, you know, an acceptable coin and this was an acceptable tax and all this, then, uh, then he could not possibly be a good Jew because the, the Bible forbids these inscriptions or these uh, images, if you would. So 
he kind of surprises them and answers uh, expertly with the question and really destroys any kind of outcome that they would have had. He says, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. You see, no, by the way, no one enjoys paying taxes. But Jesus commands us to submit to these ordained authorities and he tells them there, hey, render to Caesar words, pay the tax. Pay the tax. You're sitting, by, by the way, how many of you would agree that we today have it a little better than first century Jews under Rome? Their tax is probably a little more painful. And yet Jesus here, he's not saying, this is the time to take your stand and rebel, guys. He says, no, pay the tax. That's what he's saying. In fact, in uh, Romans 13, verse 6 and 7, for, uh, for this cause, pay ye tribute, tax also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their duties, tribute to whom tribute uh, is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And I want to say this, we are so blessed to live in America. When things are going wrong, we have appropriate actions to correct them, but it's not by simply not paying the tax. All right. Um, we can debate that later. There was a story of a father who was trying to teach his son the principle of tithing and giving to God what belongs to God, but also being a good citizen. And, uh, and, uh, and he, said, he said, well, Dad, why do, why do we pay taxes? And he said, well, son, Jesus said uh, to, you know, uh, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. And the son said, yeah, Dad, you see, that's where I have the problem. Caesar died a long time ago. <laughs> there was a Charlie Brown cartoon, which I get all my best theology from Charlie Brown. And uh, he, uh, he was writing a letter to the IRS. And he said, dear IRS, he said, I am canceling my subscription. Please stop, or please take me off your mailing list. And uh, I don't know how well that, that's going to go over, but... Uh, Notice, secondly, the test of the Sadducees. So we had the scribes come along. Now we have the Sadducees. They come along. Now the Sadducees, they held to the Torah, uh, to, to specifically the, the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, um, the, the Pentateuch. And uh, they really didn't believe anything else was truly Scripture. It was just those first five books. And, not, and they rejected kind of everything else. Uh, they rejected the doctrine of the resurrection altogether. They, direct, they, they denied miracles. They denied angels. Uh, there were several aspects that they denied. And, and, um, but they, they specifically denied the resurrection, as was brought out in the text here. In fact, in verse number 27, it says, Then came, uh, then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny that there is any resurrection. So they, they, they don't believe there's an afterlife. They don't believe there's a resurrection. And so they were sad, you see. They called themselves sad, you sees. And because they denied, there's no hope. There's no hope after this life. And uh, Paul actually addresses that in 1 Corinthians. And uh, he says, if, if in this life, you know, we all, if, there's no after, after, if there's no resurrection, then he says, we only have hope in this life. You know, and we are of all men most miserable if there be no resurrection. And, uh, and, and the, the whole crux of Christianity and the fact that Christ raised from the dead is the point that we will rise also. And Jesus himself in his earthly ministry went to, to raise Zacchaeus uh, from the dead. And he said, uh, no, he's going to live. He's alive. And she says, oh, I know he's going to live in the resurrection. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the resurrection. See, Jesus taught it. You can't deny it. Paul reiterated it. 
But in the Old Testament, it was, a, uh, it was a, uh, something understood. Job 19, uh, the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, in verse number 25 and 26, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I don't know how, where Job got his information, but he understood there's a resurrection. He understood his Redeemer, and his Redeemer is going to stand in the last day. What a wonderful prophecy, a wonderful truth. Daniel 12, verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel spoke of this. In the book of Acts, uh, Acts 28, verse eight, uh, 26, verse 8, why should it be taught a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? As, as he was speaking there, and he said, he said, how are you guys not getting this? How could this be an incredible thing? Understand that God himself uh, shall raise the dead. After seeing their religious uh, rivals fail and find reason to accuse Jesus, the Sadducees stepped away and, and uh, provide uh, 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 to prove their uh, superiority, they stepped aside and, and they stepped in and asked these foolish questions. And, uh, and so what's interesting about their questioning, look at verse number 27. Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny there is any resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote us, if any, man, if any man's brother die and have a wife and he die without children and his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And they're, they're going back to a, quite a strange law that was uh, back in the book of Deuteronomy. It was kind of bizarre, if you would. And basically, here's the idea. A man takes a wife and he dies and they never had children. It was the duty then for the next of kin to take that woman to wife and to marry and to, to have children. In fact, that's kind of the story with the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth and Boaz. Uh, there was that, uh, when, when, when Ruth went to Boaz, there was actually one person that was nearer in, uh, to be a kin, and that person didn't want Ruth, so Boaz was able to take Ruth. But, uh, but a wonderful story there of the kin redeemer, and that's really what it is. It's redeeming the family. It's redeeming that family line. And, and, uh, and, and so it says this in Deuteronomy 25, verse number 5. Uh, if brethren uh, be, uh, dwell together and there one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without, uh, without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in under her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother under her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And so that's the law there laid out in Deuteronomy. And it's quite interesting, uh, this, uh, it, this practice was called um, uh, uh, liverite marriage. And, uh, and, and, and that's where it was taught. By the way, wouldn't that be a little interesting if that was the practice still today? It would make a family reunions a little bit different. Uh, how, how are you going to treat your sisters-in-law? Because you never know what might happen. And uh, <laughs> you want to make sure there's peace in the, in the family. But, um, but so they come to him. Now what's interesting about the question that they bring. So they bring question. They said, there's a, there, there, uh, you know, this, this uh, uh, supposed question, and uh, there's this uh, couple, and they don't have any children. The husband dies, and, and then the next brother, and then the next brother, and the next brother, until all of them die, and there was never a child. And they said, whose wife shall she be in the resurrection? Now, what do these people believe about the resurrection? That there is none. Now they're asking Jesus, from their false supposition, 
All right, this is going to trip him up. Because if there is a resurrection, he's, she's got to be somebody's wife. You know, it's kind of like the, 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 the clever atheist that says, oh, I'm going to get the Christian. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? If you can't answer that, then the Bible's false. What? Oh, here, here, this is going to get him. Where did Cain get his wife? Ah, uh, we got him now. We got him now. And, and they try to play stump the Christian. Well, that's what these guys are doing. They're trying to stump Jesus. Now you're sitting there, you're like, well, where did he get his wife? Tell us. Come see me afterwards. Um, but it really was a foolish question, you know, as, as they're bringing up based on their false uh, that there is no resurrection. So Jesus gives a, an authoritative answer as he does. Verse number 34. Um, Jesus answering said unto them, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. Uh, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. See, they asked which would be the husband and he simply replied that way. None of them will be the husband. My wife and I talk this sometimes when we get to heaven and we thought, we're like, you know, I know we're not supposed to be married in heaven, and, but do you think we could hang out uh, sometimes? And, you know, I said, honey, as we're there worshiping Jesus, if you stay close enough to me from time to time, I'll, I'll hold your hand and, uh, and we'll go on walks. And uh, we kind of talk about that, romanticize having a little bit, but, uh, but uh, you know, when, when, you, when you really love your spouse, you're thinking, you know, surely we could be together, right? You know, <laughs> and uh, trying to wrap our minds around this thought here, but, uh, but he says it's not, it doesn't work that way at all. We, you, we become, uh, he even says, uh, if you would, as the angels, we're not going to die, and God's our father, and, 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 and it's not about that anymore. It's not about the temporal things anymore. It truly is now eternal, and um, but what's interesting is some things that he points out in verse number 35. He says, uh, 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 they neither marry or given marriage. Verse 36, neither can they die anymore, for they're equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. One thing he points out is life is eternal after the resurrection. It's eternal, and there's no more death, and they're going to live on. And <clears throat> Jesus then states that our lives, they'll, they'll be equal, if you would, with the angels. Um, deathless beings no longer need uh, the, the, the capacity uh, here, if you would, of a physical marriage relationship. In fact, one of the purposes of that marriage relationship is reproduction, and there's no more of that. There, we're just with the Lord. And, and, and by the way, what's funny about heaven, I don't know about funny, but interesting about heaven, the Bible really doesn't give a lot of details. You know, I think some people have this idea we're all going to be floating around on clouds strumming a harp. Right? Or we sing that song, you know, I've got a mansion. Um, or we think, how boring is it going to be? We're all just going to be around and just bowing down to Jesus the whole time for eternity. Listen, I don't, I don't know what all heaven's going to be. But you know what? I can't help but think when you consider what God made here. And, and by the way, the world you and I see is not the world that God made. This is the leftover mess after we destroyed it. <laughs> this is the fallen world. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And, and, uh, and old things are going to pass away and all things are going to become new. And, 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 but when you consider all the, all the things that in this life that God allows us to enjoy, and the Bible talks about he's made things for our pleasure. 
I just can't help but wonder if God did not save the best for last. I can't help but think that, that the, of, of the joy and of course the greatest thing and the, and the central thing of heaven would be there, the, 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 the central figure, the lamb, as it had been slain and, and then to receive glory and honor and power and praise. And, and yes, that is the central focus, but I can't help but wonder how, how much we will enjoy in heaven. No sickness, no pain, no calories. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. But only if you're part of that resurrection. Jesus mentions that the only way to heaven, the only way to have eternal life is to believe on him. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And in, the, in our text even here, it says, they become the children of God and children of the resurrection. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Because, believest thou this? And folks, that's the question we are faced with today. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? So Jesus shows his final authority. Verse number 37, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said, and uh, again they're coming back, you you spoke well, Lord. Um, And after that they durst not ask him any question at all. It's interesting, as he comes to him, he kind of puts a stop to their questions, but, but one of the things that he proves is the fact that God is, present tense, the God of Abraham, who's very, very past tense. The God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, all past tense, but he says God is. So he makes this point that God is the God of the living for those that have experience, who have part, if you would, of his resurrecting power. He is the ever-present God. He that cometh to God, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, must believe that he is. So much talk about God as he was. We must believe that he is. In fact, he was, he is, he is to come. He's the eternal, ever uh, self-existing, the uncaused cause. This is God. This is who our God is. And that's what Jesus is laying out, that they, you know, they're looking at this thing linearly, and he said, no, no, God is eternal. God is outside of time. God created time. So he shares this authority with him. In fact, in Exodus 3, verse number 6, Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon him. By the time Moses comes to the scene, those patriarchs were dead. And he said, I am the God of them. I am the God. So that's what Jesus was pointing to. And uh, as, as the Lord told Moses, he was the present, in the present, has God of Abraham, God of Isaac. This is who he was. And then he brings it around to the most important thing. Uh, but by the way, God, of course, is, it says here, the God of the living, all those that are part of the resurrection, in Romans 14, verse 9, that's exactly what it says, that God is the God of the living and of the dead, that he is God. But the last thing that he points to is the triumph of deity. He points to his deity that he often would bring the message around to, verse number 39. 
They answered and said, Master, that was well said. And after that, they durst not ask him any question. And he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? Now what's interesting is, is there's a few more questions that they had that they didn't bring up, so Jesus brings it up. I, lo- I love when he does that, by the way. Remember when Jesus let down the, the paralytic from the, or the, the friends let down the paralytic from the ceiling? And Jesus said, when he, when he saw their faith, he, he healed them, and he said this, thy sins be forgiven thee. Then it says, it goes on and talks about how Jesus perceiving their thoughts, and what were their thoughts? Their thoughts were, who can forgive sin but God only? What's interesting is they never said that. But Jesus answered their thoughts. Similarly here, he says, how say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself said, uh, said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore called him Lord, how is he then his son? Then in the audience of all the people said his disciples, beware the scribes, and I'll get to that part in just a minute. But uh, he exposed their misconception. How could, how could David have a son and that son be Lord? Kind of getting things out of order here, right? And that's the question they're asking. So he exposes this misconception, first of all, regarding David. One author said that this section concludes with a rhetorical question Jesus put to his questionnaires. One that is designed to clarify from the scriptures who Christ is. By the way, we're pointing to Christ. Did you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? Christ is a title. Christ was uh, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. And so, so when he points to the Christ, uh, the one that they've been waiting for, the one they're looking for, he's going to clarify some things of who this Christ is. The religious rulers knew that God would establish the throne of David through Messiah. However, they thought Messiah would only be a pol- political ruler from David's uh, lineage. Uh, one of the sons of the family of David would rule politically, not really connecting the dots that Messiah would be God himself. They completely missed it. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6 uh, through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. See, they understood this part so far. Sounds good. That sounds like Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Get this now. The Mighty God. Wait, Messiah is the Mighty God? The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and his peace shall, be, shall there be no end upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, so, so Isaiah understood it. Isaiah pointed it out, and, and, uh, and he said, listen, the one who's going to rule on David's throne is indeed Messiah, is indeed God himself taking on flesh, coming to be, uh, to be a man. Then he talks regarding himself he said, how say they Christ is David's son? You see, uh, the crux of the question is that if Messiah were da- of David's lineage, why did David call him Lord? Such an address would have uh, been unheard of in the Jewish culture. Psalm 110, verse number one, and the Lord said unto my Lord, that's what he was quoting, sit thou on my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. See, the Messiah was more than just a descendant of David, like a, a number of their kings were. He was David's Lord as well. In fact, Peter pointed to this in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse number 34 through 36. For David is not ascended into heaven, 
But he saith uh, himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Uh, uh, Peter went to that text and connected the dots that the one that was crucified is the one David was talking about. You see, that's, that's and, and let me just say, one of the emphasis is, emphasis, one of the great things that are emphasized, there we go, by, uh, by the human author John, in, uh, especially in 1 John, and uh, you know, in other places in the scriptures, but one of the, the big tests on those who follow Christ is what do you say about his deity? Has Christ come in the flesh? And he talks about those that deny that he's come in the flesh are the spirit of Antichrist. See, this is a very important issue. And for the, for the Jews, even of this day, to truly accept Jesus as Messiah, they had to understand that he's the Son of God. They had to understand that he came in the flesh, and this person of Christ is indeed deity. That is who he is. See, that is a very important issue. This is not a secondary issue. And that's what Jesus kept bringing their attention back around to. When he talked about their making the enemies the footstool, it's, 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 it's kind of a metaphorical speech. Uh, and it, 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 was, it came from the practice of conquering those, uh, or the conquerors would place their feet on the necks of their conquered enemies and make the enemies their footstool. The idea that they're underfoot. And, uh, and that's what Messiah would do. Psalm 43, 47 verse 3, he shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. Romans 1, 3-4, uh, uh, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. John 8, 58, when they challenged Jesus and said, wait a minute, Abraham is our father. Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. What a powerful statement. Before Abraham was, I am. That's the title that belongs to Jehovah. That's the title that belongs to the God of the Old Testament. And, and Jesus said, that's exactly who I am. I hope we're okay with that this morning, by the way. That Jesus is God. Had some Jehovah's Witnesses show up in my house one time and trying to sell me on some of their children's stuff that teaches kids to behave and have good morals and things. Things that, by, by the way, we'd all agree with. That's a good idea. And, uh, and I said, well, the problem is we've both come from a different starting place. And if the foundation is wrong, the result's going to be wrong. And, uh, and they said, we both believe that Jesus is God. And I said, ah, you believe. I don't know. We, 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 anyway, they said, we both believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I said, but do you believe he's God the Son? And they said, have a nice day. <laughs> he is both the Son of God and God the Son. Next, he exposes their hypocrisy. Verse 45, and then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, I love this, in the audience of all the people, he addresses the disciples, beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogue and the chief rooms at the feast, which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. Uh, the same shall receive greater damnation. He brings this great, great uh, warning to them. He says, beware, caution, take heed. What are they doing? They're, well, they're, uh, 
They desire to walk in the long robes and love greens. This is a pride thing. This is a lifted up thing. Uh, it's all about, you know, the, 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 they loved all their gold and their trinkets and their long robes. And, and again, it ter- carries the idea that if I have all this stuff, if I look well, then God is blessing me. And if God's blessing me, that makes me some of an authority. And uh, that God's doing something. And, and by the way, be careful. We fall into the same traps today right? Uh, We think just because somebody has a huge following that maybe God is with them, or they have more truth or more enlightenment. And if there's a small following, then, uh, then maybe God's just not with them. And guys, many times, many times, truth has been with the minorities. I was talking with a person one time about uh, the signs gifts, and they were quoting a person that had this huge mega church and everything. He said to me, and how many do you have, 50? I said, oh yeah, because that's the standard of what's truth, right? How many are following? So out of all the preachers in the Bible, let's say Noah's probably the biggest failure of all. <laughs> right? In fact, even Jesus, at one point he had 5,000 men, plus women and children there listening to him. But he lost them. And, and, and at his resurrection, or at his ascension, there was only 120 people left. I would say this, he lost more than he kept. So by that reasoning, Jesus was a failure. And we're like, are we allowed to say that? And I said, by that reasoning, Jesus is a failure. But they came and, uh, and you know, they, 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 they love these things because it was like a sign of, look how blessed I am of God. Surely I'm the child of God. Surely I'm a chosen one of his, so to speak. And, um, and it, was a, it was a very dangerous thing. You see, the synagogue had a stone seat in front where the authorities and the teachers would sit. Whenever they're invited to a banquet or to even there in the synagogues, they wanted to have those chief seats. And we saw this earlier in the book of Luke. And he said, don't, don't seek after that. Rather, seek to serve others. And, and, but they wanted to have this prominent position. And, you know, I, I was joking my wife one time. I saw some, uh, some, some really, really gaudy, fancy, gold-laced, like uh, throne-type seats. And I said, we need these for the church. I could sit up there before the message, all austere looking. And... <laughs> That's what they do, right? You can even think of some uh, groups today. What's interesting is, notice what he said there of these people. Verse 47. This isn't in my notes, but I want to address it while thinking about it. It says, which devour widows' houses. They make a show of long prayers, and some shall re- and, and the same shall receive great, greater damnation. They, they're very, they, they look very spiritual and feigning the spirituality and they make these great long prayers out there. And, and, uh, but, but it's interesting, it says they devour widows' houses. And you know what I think about? And I just want to put this out there because it bothers me. And some of you have experienced this. How many times these religious groups prey on elderly people? You know, uh, they're sitting there watching the 700 Club or whatever and the TV's on. And if you just send this money, that ailment you're experiencing right now and that, that, that illness that you have or that cancer, that arthritis, whatever, you just make your love offering to this organization and that's all going to go away in Jesus' name. Why don't you place your hand up on the screen and, and these poor little, little old ladies and little old men look at that and they say, oh, this is what I need. And, and then they're sitting there and they haven't tested with scripture and, and they're just praying on these people. 
And, and, and I'm speaking from, <laughs> speaking some, from some experience because you can tell this irks me because my grandmother fell prey to this stuff. Uh, my, my, my wife's grandfather fell prey to this kind of stuff. And what do they do? They, they're, they're, they're not being spiritual. They're actually building their kingdoms and building their wealth off these, these poor widows. Yeah, that's the heart of God. If you send enough money, that means you have enough faith. I hope you're understanding. I'm being very sarcastic. That's not how it works, okay? <laughs> Pastor said we need to send money and have faith so we can be healed. No, I did, I'm not saying that. Someone's going to take that online and be like, listen to him, Alex Eloquent, about this health and wealth gospel. That's what they fell into the same trap. Luke 14, verse number 10 and 11, But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee come, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, and thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. And uh, in that same passage, he talked about how it would be worse to sit in those upper places and then be told, wait a minute, you're in someone else's seat. You need to go down a few levels. <laughs> he said, no, take the lower seat and get invited up. All right? Um, that's that's the, the, the issue here. He says these guys were hypocrites. So he's warning his disciples, guys, don't fall into this trap. It's not about power. It's not about prestige. It's about service, servanthood. The greatest among you shall be what? Servants. Servants of all. The scribes, they took advantage of these helpless conditions of, uh, of these widows, for example, to obtain possessions and their property while... While by their long prayers they make themselves believe that they were raised above, they're far above this filthy lucre. I'm not falling for that. Yet they, they, just, they, they, they were striving for more. In fact, in, in Luke 16, a while back we were in Luke 16, and, and Jesus actually described the Pharisees. He says, and the Pharisees, comma, which were covetous. And then he kind of kept talking about the Pharisees. He, he just points the heart of the Pharisee. What is it? Covetousness, the, the hunger and the need, the desire for more. That's what they fell into. In verse 47, we find that hypocrisy at the last brings damnation to the hypocrite. The scribes would be held responsible for taking advantage of the common people due to their fake performance of spirituality. Remember, they feigned to be just. James 3.1, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And here's the reality, those that teach and those that are over others there's a much greater responsibility held on those shoulders on how you handle, how you're dealing with those. That same book, the book of James, even talks about handling with widows and, and the fatherless. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, and it talks about caring for those widows and caring for them, not taking advantage of them. And they had it all backwards. See, in Jesus' day, scorners and skeptics constantly try to disprove him. Today, many people are still trying to discredit Jesus, trying to disprove him. And, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but society jumped on that bandwagon probably like never before in American history. That, that it's the enemy. It's the problem. It's so outdated and archaic, and, 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 and it's, it's anti-virtue. And they're attacking when you start hearing more and more in the military lumping up Christianity 
with other extreme groups. I mean, even Catholicism, they're putting in there with these extreme groups. I'm not, I'm not even talking about like radical brands of Christianity. I'm talking about, and what I mean by that is, is that's, like, that's like the most popular group under the branch, under the umbrella, if you would, of Christianity. And then what, what is it? It's an attack on the word of God. They're attacking uh, that very foundation. And so uh, it's no different. As we look at the life of Christ, we're going to say, hey, is the servant greater than his master? They hated me and they're going to hate you. And, and, and seeing how did Jesus respond and what, what, what were his responses? But we see that even today. But regardless of what the world may say, Jesus is indeed the son of God. And by the way, I'm not backing down on that statement. Jesus is the Son of God, and this Bible is the Word of God. And, uh, you know, in Christ, he, he, he possesses the power that God gave him. And in his earthly ministry, what did we see? We saw healings. We saw miracles. We saw all these things that were was proving it, bringing it to this conclusion, this fruition, that, he, that indeed Messiah has come, and praise God, he's opened up salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, to, to, to the rest of us. And he warns of the judgment to come. And this wonderful uh, passage lays out that there is a resurrection. They try to trip him up on saying, well, whose wife, if this happens and this happens and all these things. And he says, hold on a second. Let's keep one thing straight. There is a resurrection. And it belongs to the children of God. By the way, the Bible speaks of a second resurrection. Revelation talks about blessed are they who have part of the first resurrection whom death hath no power. But then it talks about the second resurrection. Second resurrection. Those that are resurrected unto judgment. They will stand before the great white throne, before the Lord Jesus Christ himself, from whose face heaven and earth fled away, and they found no place for them. And John the apostle, as he wrote Revelation, he said, and I saw the dead, both small and great, stand before this and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged of the things which were written in the books according to their works. And death and hell gave it the dead which were in them. And death and hell were cast in like a fire. And whosoever's name was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, that's the second resurrection. We're all going to be a part of a resurrection. Are you going to be part of the first resurrection or the second resurrection? Let's, uh, let's bow in prayer this morning. You know, as we're considering this text, one of the key issues that's being addressed here is these guys would feign spirituality. They'd try to trip him up in questioning. You know, one of the things that comes to my own heart, my own con conclusions, have I fallen into the deceptiveness of hypocrisy? Is there a little bit of a Pharisee? Is there a little bit of a Pharisee in me? You know, I think we ought to always be checking our, ourselves. What are our motives? I think before the Lord, we ought to do that. And then secondly, if you're here...